Most investors will commit via email by navigating to to the link in the Juniper Square email. So it automatically populates into the Juniper Square system, making it a whole lot easier for me. Some will reach out separately via email. Hey, Lorna, just making sure you got my commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in for 100. Some will call and want some questions answered. And we sit at our computers and be available by phone for the next mm-hmm. two to three hours because we know that's how quickly it'll come in. And then I hit refresh on Juniper about every five minutes to see, to the, see where we are. see where we are. Because <laughs> Juniper will track commitments as they come in. And so you can kind of see where you are on a little bar chart to see where you are in your, your equity race. So it's a neat little tool that... I kind of track to see where we are during the day. And what about our Slack channel? Right. Yeah. I was just going to mention, we have an equity status Slack channel um, where just a few members are on that we're constantly updating everyone mm-hmm. where we are. And uh, gosh, the icons and emojis and gifts. <laughs> Ryan with the gifts. Ryan's a gift king. <laughs> hey guys, welcome back to the Fort Podcast. My name is Chris Powers and I want to thank you for joining me today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to. And if on Apple, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating and review. Last but not least, you can find all these episodes on YouTube, Thank you so much again for joining me and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Fort Capital. I know what you're thinking. Here goes Chris talking about Fort Capital again, but guys, it's important to me. Fort Capital is a real estate investment firm based in Fort Worth, Texas. That's why my Twitter handle is Fort Worth Chris. We have a track record of transacting more than 1.4 billion in assets throughout Texas. That's crazy to me. 17 years ago, I bought my first house for $100,000. The team over at Fort is currently looking to acquire Class B industrial deals between 10 and $75 million throughout the major markets of Texas. In fact, Fort Capital was named the fastest growing real estate company in Texas by Inc. Magazine last year. To learn more about Fort Capital, visit www.fortcapitallp.com. Welcome to the Fort. I'm really excited to have Ryan Hessing and Lorna Heath with me today, uh, who I work with at Fort and who really run the investor relations side of things. Lorna every day and Ryan as um, a backup and me as a backup. And between the three of us, there's a lot that goes on in investor relations and how we deal with people. Um that makes this episode interesting. We've had a lot of people reach out about kind of how does the process work, not just when we're signing up, but what are all the things that we think about with investor relations? Um, At Fort, it is unbelievably important to us that our investors are treated the best that we can treat them. I would say we're pretty ruthless about how we are continuously thinking about them and how to serve them. And today's episode, you should really get a lot of how we think about our investors how we've improved over the years, what matters to us, and kind of what you can expect from us should you choose to work with us in some capacity. So Ryan, Lorna, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Let's just start with a little bit about, just set the stage with kind of y'all's role within kind of the investor relations world. Lorna, why don't you kick it off? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am the day-to-day contact for Fort's investor relations team. I have the pleasure of working with 519 investors as of yesterday, (laughs) Um, and I manage the communication day-to-day, help with the onboarding process, work through the offering and subscription process of legal documents, work through the capital call, and congratulate everyone when we've closed on a deal. So kind of from start to finish there. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. And my role is really acting as an intermediary between the deal team acquisitions and the investor. So understanding what we're buying, what we're looking at, and then conveying that information to the investors and they have detailed questions about the asset, the deal, the capital structure, things like that. So that's kind of where I play a role and answer their more detailed questions on the actual transaction. Love it. And with 519 investors, our goal is to communicate as well, be as transparent so that we have less questions Mm -hmm. with that many folks. Um, you know, it can be a lot, but, um, you know, 
when you have 519 people, there's just a lot going on. And I think we manage it really well. And we're about to find out how we manage it. So let's kind of start out with um, when an investor kind of approaches us. What is our process for signing up an investor? And I'll start by, you know, even from how they find us. And let's walk through kind of the, will you make this segment on the onboarding of investors and what that, what they can expect? Of course. Yeah. I think most of our investors find us in a multitude of ways. So many variables come into place, whether it's a referral from an existing investor, whether it's a follower of someone's account on Twitter whether uh, it's an employee referral or they've just heard about us and know that we've transacted um, in the market. And upon initial reach out, we make the process extremely easy for them. I call it the three step. Mm -hmm. So first, we just direct you to our website. It's very well done. You hit us up on the contact page, letting us know you'd like to invest and fill out some basic information. That's all we ask of you. If all of the investor requirements align, then we have a secondary survey that's sent via email looking for a little bit more information about, um, do you have an investor reference? What is your annual targeted commitment of equity that you'd like to, to deploy? Um, and then after, after that is completed, our internal investor relations team goes through a clearance process to make sure that we're all on the same page. We simply send an introductory email. That's our last and third step. And after you review our investment strategy deck and uh, confirm that our investment strategy is synonymous with yours, then you simply confirm and you're onboarded. It's just that easy. I love it. Yeah. And when you say onboarded, is that onboarded onto Juniper Square? Like, when do we know they're in our system? They are onboarded on onto Juniper Square after they confirm that the investment strategy deck aligns with their own investment strategy. Got it. And onboarded means I tag them in our system so that they'll receive every future offering via email. Got it. Yeah. And we have, you just mentioned we have 519. What are maybe some reasons why folks would sign up and they actually, they, they maybe don't meet our criteria right now? Mm -hmm. it, the only reason that the folks wouldn't meet our criteria would be um, if they don't meet the accreditation status um, that is required for Fort. They have to be uh, a United States uh, investor, so they have to be semi-local. Um, and then we want to make sure that what we intend uh, to do in terms of an investment standpoint, asset class metrics, is what they're looking for. Right. Yeah. Ryan, and maybe you can touch on this a little bit. Um, or Lorna, um, when somebody's signing up with us, we, we live in this world now where like we're syndicators mm -hmm. of capital, but there's now folks and companies out there that, um, you know, they might come to us and say, we're going to put a half a million dollars mm -hmm. in your deal. But what we don't know is who is in their entity. Yeah. Can you just speak if, if y'all have any information on how do we think about that and what do we need to know if you are going to be bringing in multiple investors? Yeah. So one thing we do on that is we will have a conversation with them and say, you know, here's kind of us. Who are you? And really just interview them and talk to them and say, you know, where's your capital coming from? What are your investors? And, and typically they'll tell us who their investors are, not by name, but kind of what their portfolio is and their profile so from there, we can really get an understanding of what they're looking for from their investor standpoint and kind of where their capital is coming from. And again, we've, we've got to be careful on the accreditation. So we don't want to be taking their investors if they're not accredited or if they're foreign, right. um, foreign people as well. So, so it's really just an interview process and understanding that. And then we do the research on them, Google, LinkedIn, different things. We'll, we'll you know figure out who they are and try to do a little bit of background check on them. Cool. Lorna, you took over this process probably a year ago. Is there anything that comes to mind when you think of kind of changes that we've made over the last year to make it better? And, oh, and, certainly. <laughs> and if you're just listening, she's smiling big right now. <laughs> uh, I feel like we've had a massive overhaul over the past 12 to 18 months in the investor relations process because I think the ultimate mantra, and Ryan would agree with me here, is that we want investor every investor to feel like they are the only one. Yep. So targeting that level of service has always been very high up on our priority list. And some of those things would be revamping the onboarding process, making it easier for investors to get in touch with us and to get them in our system. Yeah. 
um, making sure that we have a communication rule, getting back to everybody within 12, within 20, 12 to 24 hours, mm-hmm. making sure that we have a solution for them within that standard amount of time, um, because it's in the now. We right. have to make mm-hmm. sure that uh, that it, it's just critical. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Anything? No, I think she nailed it. Okay. Uh, communication's key with, with investor relations. You know, one thing we, we try to do is make sure we talk to people and they hear about us on Twitter or the podcast and they're reaching out to us for that. And so we're, we're talking to them and they're trying to make sure we're legitimate. We're trying to make sure they're legitimate. And usually it comes down to we're, we're a good fit for most people that reach out to us through yeah. those different mediums. If you had to say, uh, what is the perfect fit for us? So we talked about who might not fit, mm-hmm. but if somebody's listening here that maybe is an investor or maybe wants to introduce us to someone, what are characteristics of an investor that we would love to meet right now? Ooh, um, initially is the excitement <laughs> over Fort because, yeah, we do great deals and, yeah, we want you to analyze our deals, but we really want you to get familiar with our company mm-hmm. and yeah. our people and how we think about things and how we operate things. So someone that is a listener, someone that follows the company mm-hmm. closely um, and then ideally plans to deploy somewhere between 100000 and 500000 annually. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Uh, what you just said is is important. I think, um, you know, I've talked about this on other podcasts, but um, when you're raising deal by deal, there's a lot of benefits to that. Investors have chances, you know, with us this year, they might have 14 different chances mm-hmm. to get into a deal as opposed to one big fund where you put in money once and it's kind of a blind pool deal. Um, when Lorna and Ryan talk about, you know, really starting to um, appreciate Fort and underwrite Fort. When we have 519 investors, our capital raises are happening very quickly. For the folks that want to see each deal and kind of underwrite it on their own and spend a few days, by all means, we want you to do whatever's comfortable for you. But by all means, we also want you to know that there are a lot of folks that have said, we underwrite Fort, we're going to allocate money to all 14 deals this year. They're the expert, and we're going to let them kind of um, guide the ship. And so when they say that we want somebody that that wants to be, um, you know, somebody that wants to align with Fort, that's really what we're talking mm-hmm. about. If you underwrite us and you get to know how we work and you understand what we're investing in, those are going to be the folks that have the most exposure to us, can get their money in. Um, and ultimately, we have the best relationships with. So, um, you know, as you're meeting Fort Capital, whether it's your first time or you're learning about us or with any sponsor, really get to know the sponsor. Because once you know and trust the sponsor, um, that level of trust builds quickly and there's just, you know, less you have to do on an ongoing basis. So, all right, let kind of pigging on that, what information do we provide folks up front so that they can get to know us better? Mm-hmm. I'll take a first stab at this. Uh, well, first of all, we have a, an extremely robust website. We have a great presence on our investment strategy, our team, and our focus. Uh, after completing that little bit of information, we send a really hefty investment strategy deck. And within that investment strategy deck, we talk a lot about our track record, some of our recent dispositions so that we can put metrics to what we're talking through, um, a little bio on the founders and the team. And uh, in addition to that, a little bit more material on some recent podcast episodes and for um, anything you want to expand upon with. with. Yeah, on the investment strategy deck, it's a 37-page document that really is a deep dive into Fortin, how we think, how we invest and how we think about deals. And like you said, the track record, we're updating that constantly with the the current portfolio and anticipated returns as well as kind of our divested assets to show what we actually have achieved. And really what that does is it gives us kind of the skins in the game type thing. What we talk about is it's really showing this is what we say we're doing and we're actually achieving as opposed to someone saying this is what we're trying to do and we're hoping to do it, but we're actually achieving our goals and doing that. And so it really shows transparency to the investor and showing this is where we're going with our investments. And there's a ton of other details in it. It talks about FOS. It talks about property management. It it talks about everything we do. And so it really just gives an investor kind of a comfort being like they've opened the full book to us they're fully transparent they're actually doing what they say and and makes us feel good so if they read that they listen to everything we provide them and they understand it all then then we feel really good about them moving forward with us i love it 
What are common questions that y'all do get asked up front during this process? Mm-hmm. Is there is there a few that come to mind? Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another big smile. Um, truly, before the onboarding process is even complete, I get the question, are there any open offerings? Because yeah. we raise them so quickly, everyone wants in. Um, and because they fill up within a matter of hours or even just days, um, that is the that's the number one question. Everyone wants to know, how can I get in with board? Mm-hmm. And what do you tell them? I tell them, stay in touch with me, please. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Express your interest um, and also be patient mm-hmm. because we want to provide a great deal so that we can get you in it. But we also want to make sure that it is a great deal. Yeah. So we want to spend the time to find the deals and the returns that you're going to want to be in. Right. Mm-hmm. I love it. If uh, I'm assuming that part of the way that we update that 37 page deck is if y'all are hearing a consistent question over and over that isn't answered in the deck, mm-hmm. that's hence another slide. We have tried to make that to where we are answering so many of those questions mm-hmm. up front. Mm-hmm. And um, the waterfall is a good point. Uh, we get that question quite a bit. Yes. What's yep. the capital stack mm-hmm. look like? What does the waterfall look like? Um, and rightfully so, because if you'd like to be an investor at Fort, before you see your first offering memoranda, you may want Mm -hmm. to be able to understand what is this going to look like for me? And don't we send templates of an offering memorandum and a, I'm going blank. We have investor experience, a one pager that we send templates of offering memoranda and a template of our investor quarterly reporting. Yeah. Just to get everyone Mm -hmm. familiar with the format, because it's, if you know what to expect, there's this level of transparency. And when it comes across, it's a lot easier to make that decision. Let's just talk about that for a bit. I, that is something that's been iterated on three or four times over the last 18 months, the investor report. Mm-hmm. It is so dialed in and it's really consistent. So talk about what we what we want to convey in that report, but talk about also the consistency. It's If you're in 10 different deals, mm-hmm. you're going to see the same format for how you receive information. Yeah, so about 12 to 18 months ago, we really focused and, and created a new template. It was an Excel model that spit out kind of return metrics and high level over the assets. And that was kind of the cover page. Behind that was probably 30 to 40 pages of just redundant financial information that would just spit out from Yardi or whatever accounting system was being used. So as we've gone through that process, it was really the investors don't care about, you know, half the things that are probably in this report. They care about this, they care about that. And so how do we really then control the narrative and show them what we want? So what we have done is we've gone through and really picked out, and now we're showing a clean, concise income statement, balance sheet, and the cover page is still very consistent, showing the original investment thesis, where we are in updated returns, projected per, or sales price, projected IRR, projected returns, projected distributions, shows outstanding debt, outstanding equity, and then overview of CapEx, leasing updates, and kind of just some some updates on the asset, where it's performing, what we're planning is going forward for the next quarter. And that comes on a quarterly basis. And then followed with that, like I mentioned, is the new kind of reporting template for income statement balance sheet and, and not showing you 50 lines of revenue that were in the old one. It's just showing what the investor cares about, which yeah. is going to be the revenue, rental revenue, vacancies, any sort of operate OPEX, NOI, and then cash flow after that. Yep. Yeah. And Ryan, uh, j- just to expand upon that, we've kind of developed this with the help of some investors receiving yes. feedback mm-hmm. from our previous model. So it's allowed us to make this even better, an even better level mm-hmm. of institutional reporting. And investors love the quarterly reports, but they love the monthly distribution. Mm-hmm. Yes, they do. So we report quarterly, but we uh, distribute monthly. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, again, for us, it gives our investors a chance to really smooth out and kind of plan for how they're earning income. A lot of folks live off this stuff. And so rather than lumpy payments that come, you know, quarterly or kind of whenever there's cash available, we really try and smooth things out so that people can build kind of predictable Mm -hmm. cash flow on their end once we're distributing. Not every deal obviously distributes day one. Mm -hmm. Um, So, all right. Let's just now Juniper Square, Juniper Square, Juniper Square. Everybody loves Juniper Square. <laughs> uh, we've been working with it for four or five years. I'm going to, you know, take a step out and say, I think we are one of the best users of Juniper Square. And, um, you know, I'll take it a step further. I think I know we are one of the best. <laughs> uh, 
one, because of feedback from investors, two, because of the level of detail we've put into it. So let's just talk a little bit about, we talked about if you get um, an account with us, when do investors interact with Juniper Square? And then let's talk about the experience of what it's like to use Juniper Square with us. Mm -hmm. I would say investors get on Juniper Square at the point that they are prompted to sign their legal subscription documents in the entity. So backing up just a little bit, after you make your soft commitment and you're sent the legal subscription documents, when you're sent those via email, Juniper will prompt you, hey, if you don't already have a login, it's time for you to create a login and a password so that we can store all of this very secure information somewhere for you in the future. Separately from that, I'm using the the Juniper Square platform for everything leading up to that point. Mm -hmm. So email communications, sending out offerings, marking people's soft commitment by class. There is a multitude of things that will happen prior to them getting on. But that will be a great place for them to house prior email communication, all of their subscription documents, K1s that will come out. Um, and just tracking their investments because they'll be in more than one with us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then let's talk about that for a second. So we talked about when the first kind of um, introduction to Juniper Square happens, but how do we use it? How do we use it like when deals go out? You talked about email communication being saved. That's one of my favorite parts about Juniper Square is every email that Fort has ever sent you mm-hmm. is saved in a, a log. But talk about the actual launching of a deal how the steps that happen and how investors can, you know, expect that deal to be sent their way. Absolutely. Juniper Juniper is fantastic in this way because Juniper will, will allow us to build an offering out and a level of prospects so that sending out the email communication, Juniper will get us a link which will allow investors to commit mm-hmm. within not even a second, within a millisecond of being yeah. interest, interested in that offering. So you show interest, you're automatically onboarded into the offering, you're put down as your soft commitment, and it, it's a, a housed place for every investor to know that they are in. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about ongoing IR. Or ongoing IR. You're going to get an IRR, but we're talking about IR. <laughs> right now, IRR, IR. Investor relations. Really, this is going to be like how our company actually operates. So we've talked about, you know, experiences for folks, but what's going on behind the scenes? So, Ryan, this is where you're super involved Mm -hmm. and you're communicating with Lorna. But deal comes in, you know, we've underwritten it. It looks good. When does investor relations start knowing about a deal? Mm -hmm. And just talk about how that information starts to flow in and how it moves across the company. Yeah, so we're we're a very close-knit company, very transparent. So we have a weekly pipeline deal team meeting on Wednesdays that uh, myself and Lorna sit in with multiple members of the deal team. And we talk about what's in the pipeline, what we're underwriting, where we are in transaction cycle. And so essentially once a deal is LOI stage and we've underwritten it, we're making an offer, we start drafting our our kind of preview or OM. And so in anticipation that they're going to accept it and we're going to go to PSA. So our kind of preview and OMs are consistent from deal to deal. We use the same template and essentially we just update it for the deals just so that, again, investors have consistency, right? They're they're seeing the same OM uh, format, things like that. So essentially, once we go to PSA, we try to send out that OM so we can get the investors on board and start getting them thinking about the deal and talking about the deal and, and really getting them committed to the deal. Um, we typically will do 30, 30, 30 day diligence, 30 day close, so 60 days from the time we get PSA to the time we close to really allow us to get the capital raised, uh, get the debt terms in place and things like that. So we start the IR process very, very early on once we kind of get the deal underwritten and, and to the PSA. And sometimes we'll talk with investors and they'll say, hey, what do you have in the pipeline? And we'll tell them, hey, we've got about three or four deals, you know, that could come out in the next week, two weeks, things like that. So so we're in tune with what's in the pipeline and what's coming and, and kind of prepping investors to be prepared. Cause there's one week, I think a couple of weeks ago, we sent out four deals like right before Christmas. And it was like, you know, a little bit overwhelming, I think, sometimes. <laughs> so we, we try to prep them on what's coming down the pipe. Yeah. Um, so once we kind of get them the OM 
essentially once that OM's out, we open up our kind of subscriptions, let people commit. And essentially Lauren and I have kind of said, okay, once an OM goes out, we know it goes out on what, Thursday, Fridays, we try to send them out? We try to target Thursdays and Fridays, but honestly, the way that the deal flow is coming in, sometimes they come out Tuesday afternoon. You got to be ready. So. So we try to prep it for the investors to know when they're going to come out. And then Lauren and I will pretty much block off the morning to answer questions. So our deals fill up quickly. So people know that. So we'll start getting questions about the the investment, the deals and things like that. So we'll kind of block off time to make sure we're we're paying attention so that someone is asked a question it gets through the cracks like, oh, I didn't get in because you didn't answer the question. So we're trying to make ourselves available for that. So once the deal fills up, um, we typically will then keep them in the loop. And then we're typically after DOD was when we get our investor docs prepped with our attorney. So we'll get the investor docs prepped, subscription document, uh, the the operating agreement, the PPM. And, and again, those are consistent almost from deal to deal. We, we don't go through and change word or wording or terms or things like that. The terms are the terms and essentially what's in the offering memorandum is going to be the same from deal to deal. Got it. Um, so essentially, that's the other thing we like is that the, the investors know that the the agreements, all that are going to be consistent. So we'll send those out and, you know, we'll try to get those subscribed or signed back. And then we call capital a week before closing. We call capital about th- three weeks before to be due between a week to mm-hmm. two weeks before. And that way we can have everything come into place because internally, the transaction team and deal team are mm-hmm. working really hard to make sure that we close that yeah. transaction on time. There's a, a lot of last check boxes yeah. that need to be made. Let's take a quick break to highlight this episode's sponsor, Juniper Square. If you aren't familiar with Juniper Square, it's an easy to use all-in-one investment management software designed specifically for real estate owners. We have been using it at Fort Capital for several years now, and it has completely revamped the experience we're able to provide our investors through reporting, management, and efficiency. Here's Brandon Sedloff, Managing Director at Juniper Square, explaining more about their platform. We saw this really big shift where, you know, today, if you're an investor, whether you're a high net worth investor or you're an institutional investor, you have a lot more options if you want to invest in real estate as an asset class compared to maybe five or even 10 years ago. And with the kind of proliferation of options, one of the things that that happened was that as an investor, you start to have a lot more control. And with control, you can make more demands. And with those demands, you can place those on your managers. And while that might make life difficult for some managers who aren't ready to adapt, one of the key demands is, hey, we need more transparency. Like I need to know if I'm gonna give you $100, how is that $100 doing? Where is it invested and what is the return on my investment? You can check out episode 37 to listen to my full conversation with Brandon or visit cjunipersquare.com for more information. That's S-E-E junipersquare.com. And now back to the show. Speak for a second, and I think we've touched on it a little, but when we send a deal out and mm-hmm. we're and we're letting people know, I think some people are like, are you literally raising money in like a matter of hours? Lorna, you're like at the computer. So just give people a little bit of experience about what it's like on our end a fly on when the that wall. deal <laughs> hits. What is happening? How quickly is it coming in? How are people making commitments? How is our team being alerted? Like give some people like what it's like on launch day. Right. I mean, I know a lot of you can't see me, but I'm just snapping because mm. that's how quickly <laughs> the commitments come in. Um, yeah. And so right before we send out the offering, as Ryan mentioned, I let him know. I sit down at my desk with my three monitors <laughs> and, <laughs> and we press go and we send it out and the commitments will come in. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. By How the do they commit? Second. Do they um, commit by email on Juniper? They com- most, most investors will commit via email okay. by navigating to the, to the link in the Juniper Square email. So it automatically populates into the Juniper Square system, making it a whole lot easier for me. Some will reach out separately via email. Hey, Lorna, just making sure you got my commitment. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in for 100. Some will call and want some questions answered. And we sit at our computers and be available by phone for the next mm-hmm. two to three hours because we know that's how quickly it'll come in. And then I hit refresh on Juniper about every five minutes to see, to the, see where we are. Because <laughs> Juniper will track commitments as they come in. And so you can kind of see where you are on a little bar chart to see where you are in your, in your equity race. So it's a neat little tool that I kind of track to see where we are during the day. And what about our Slack channel? Right. Yeah. I was just going to mention, we have an equity status Slack channel um, where just a few members are on. 
that we're constantly updating mm-hmm. everyone where we are. And uh, gosh, the icons and emojis and gifts. <laughs> Ryan with the gifts. <laughs> Ryan's gift king. I can have full conversation with gifts. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so people have signed up for a deal. Um, one last thing, and we kind of touched on this, but you are, once they have committed, and let's say raise days over and we know who our capital stack is, what is the series of emails or communications that y'all give to people? Because some people, it's 60 days until closing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So people that have been with us kind of know, but those early investors, like what happens and how do we communicate with them to go, this is your timeline? Sure. I really shouldn't say it this way and should find a better way to say it. But I always say, as an investor, you should want for nothing. Yeah. You should, if you, if I need something, you will hear from me. If you are to expect something, you will know. Yeah. Because immediate, not immediately, about a week after that raise is complete, we'll send out a transaction timeline, very nicely laying out Mm -hmm. what you should expect as an investor in this offering with your confirmed commitment amount, with your confirmed class, and what dates you're going to get the next communication from me via email. So until then, you're all good. I constantly get the emails. What do you need from me, Lorna? What do you need from me? Mm -hmm. Nothing, nothing. I love it. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about, we're going to go back to quarterly reports for a little bit. Um, just who on our team puts together the reports and who's writing the letters? Yeah, so our quarterly reports, is, it's really a team effort. So it's uh, Jason Baxter, our CEO, myself, Steve Bailey, our executive vice president of, of property management, Rob Brand, our director of leasing, and myself, like I said, we, we really put together reports. Uh, Hunter Nerdin, our finance manager, put it together and reviews the debt piece of it. So the updates are written for leasing by our director of leasing and CapEx by uh, our property manager. And so those are all there. And then those are reviewed by myself and Jason, and we'll put in our feedback on what we think operation-wise, how it's doing it, and really kind of be clean and concise on the reporting. Anything we foresee maybe coming down the pipe in the next quarter and we think the investor should know, we're engaging in looking at a refinance or, you know, we're we're looking at the area and, and things happening around the area. Maybe something they need to know that's macro view outside of the actual asset. We'll put in the report for them to know. With that, we have probably four or five other people, including our controller, our VP of operations, um, Lorna, looking at these reports and, and making sure that everything is accurate. Yeah. And, and so it, it's a very intensive review process that yeah. that is being checked off so that we're not sending something out and someone's like, oh, that's not right. And we have a meeting monthly now to where we go through every asset and look, read the report and say, is this right? Is this right? Is this right? And then anything that needs to change, we'll go back through, change it, and then have one final review before the sent out. So it's a pretty robust review process and a lot of kind of cooks in the kitchen adding value to it. And then um, the end product, though, is, is pretty phenomenal. I love it. Yeah. I mean, look, the reports are, um, they're how you're doing. People are going to get four of them a year. If you're in lots of deals, Mm -hmm. then you're getting lots of reports and we want it to be easy to know where to look, what you should know. And again, if there's something that we haven't reported on, you can always reach out to us and we'll try and get that answer for you. All right. Uh, I think you touched on this, um, for a second, we don't have to go deep into it, but do you use Excel to calculate waterfall distributions or does Juniper Square uh, programming handle that? So Juniper handles it. We do use kind of a parallel model um, in Excel that will allow us to really track distributions and and understand and really for forecasting. So Juniper only does real-time historical distribution. So what we have done is we have built a waterfall model based on the Juniper Square calculations and this is kind of where I might nerd out on it, but uh, it, it's been a pretty robust process where we can calculate to the penny what Juniper Square will now distribute. Yeah. And so we will do that. We forecast that through the hold period so we can almost go monthly, project what we can be distributing monthly now. So it's a it's a pretty good system and, and it allows us to kind of control the narrative a little bit more so that we know what we're putting in the Juniper will actually be distributed right down to, we can go down to the LP level yep. of what that LP to the penny will receive. Got it. Um. We, t- we talked about for a second um, what happens uh, when folks are signing up for investments. What happens if somebody signs up and then they don't end up uh, moving forward with us after they've committed? This is not ideal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we do not like when this happens. Um, 
And we understand certain mm-hmm. circumstances, but it's very important if you are going to make that initial commitment to be able to know that you can make the commitment to follow through. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and mostly it's it's because we're getting so close to the close that at that point that we need to fill the capital, we mm-hmm. can and we can easily. Yeah. But there's a lot of shuffling that has to go on. So uh, not ideal. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like you said, things happen in life, sure. but... Um, especially if it is a pattern, mm-hmm. um, we would likely probably move you to what we call an inactive investor list. Mm-hmm. Um, Get that tag, yeah, unfortunately. You don't want that tag. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are three improvements we made to the investor relations process this year that you're most proud of? Um, well, as mentioned before, the streamlined communication um, for each offering, letting investors know what to expect, that transaction timeline is key, especially when there are four to five offerings going on at once and you've committed to four and five of them, you you may not have written down in your calendar when you need to execute documents, when you need to send capital. And oh, by the way, those are all different entities with all different sets of wiring instructions <laughs> that you must call to confirm. Mm-hmm. So uh, that has been a big push for us. <laughs> the <laughs> revamped quarterly reporting process that mm-hmm. uh, Ryan has just finished talking through Um, And then growing our investor base has been a big push because we want to be able to have as many investors and as many transactions as Mm -hmm. possible. We want to be able to move more quickly and we want to bring better deals to our investors. So uh, that's been a huge push as well. Mm -hmm. Love it. What happens if we're oversubscribed on a deal? Mm, Happens often. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say. Um, We have established a wait list. So this has actually been something uh, within the last six months to a year Mm -hmm. that uh, we've implemented. And Establishing that wait list lets us know, even though the offering is full, that you are interested. And sometimes I can find capital for you. Sometimes things move around and shift a little bit. And if you are on that wait list, you'll be the next person to get in. If we can't get you in on that offering, I don't forget you. And the next available offering, I'll try to make sure that you get a first glimpse. I love it. the, The truth of the matter is there is no bulletproof solution. Mm-hmm. You are constantly improvising and you're constantly learning and trying to make the best decisions. Um, because again, with 519 people, like you said, we it's a priority that everybody gets a chance to invest with us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the team does a wonderful job of continuing to figure out the best way to make the level, the playing field level for everybody. Um, and a lot of that is by being super transparent mm-hmm. and educating people up front so that they can move with with speed, um, you know, with the rest of the folks. Can you talk a little bit about our pre-commitment opportunity? Uh, since we aren't a fund, this kind of goes back to where we started the conversation. It gives folks an opportunity to allocate to us as if we were. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can describe what I mean by that. Sure, sure. It, it's similar to the gray area that you just mentioned, the constant improvising, because we want If someone approaches Fort Capital and says, hey, I have a million and a half dollars I want to deploy this year, we want to help you to deploy that within the right deals. But that also takes a level of getting comfortable with us and the offerings. Mm -hmm. But if that is your priority, then at the point that you say, yeah, I'm comfortable, I want to do it, Mm -hmm. I'm in for 100,000 on the next however many offerings, then our pre-commitment grouping that we've softly established is a group of investors that will get the offering They'll get it first, they'll get it early, and they're always in every time we mark them down. They have 24 hours to let us know if they can't make the commitment for any reason, which they all do. Yeah. Um, And at that point, they have a secure position and they know it and they know their capital is going to work. Love it. Yeah. And to that point, too, for us, it's comfort allowing us to move fast. So so when we go look at a deal and we say we're going to raise X amount of equity, we, we know we have a set amount of equity committed to that deal. So it helps us internally say, yes, we can definitely raise this equity or no, we can't. So so for us, it's another tool in our tool chest to kind of really go out and, you know, find source great deals. Yep. All right. Um, I, it's just, it. I would be remiss not to mention it is, it is a priority for us every year to get our K-1s out as quickly as possible. Um, K-1s are a beat down. Um, we try to make them not a beat down. Um, again, some it is a priority to our accounting team. Our whole team knows when January 1st happens mm-hmm. that it's a race to get K-1s out. And if you're listening to this and you're in tech or something and you can build a tool that can make K-1s happen <laughs> easier, it's a big industry out <laughs> yeah. there and we would be a user. 
Um, is there anything you want to add to that? I guess one thing, one question we get asked a lot is, do we engage in cost segs? And I guess this is probably a good point to say, yes, we are starting to go down that route. And we have engaged a firm to do multiple cost segs on our assets we just bought in 2021. And so the reason I want to point this out is that with K1s, we picked this group because they have guaranteed they will have them by early March to our kind of tax advisor and CPA so that they will be done in time for 2021 K1s. Yeah. So. Good news is if it's a week or too late, it's coming with some extra depreciation. Yes, exactly. So you'll sleep, <laughs> exactly. you'll sleep well at night. Johnny, you know what depreciation is? Okay. Um, all right. We, we talked about how many investors we have. So we have 519 signed up investors. But that probably means we've had 1,500 people sign up. Not everybody meets our criteria. We're not the flavor for everybody. And, and um, you know, it's, it's always, it's not a, a 10 out of 10 thing that happens. But how many people are actually signing up every month? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> on a monthly basis, how many people do, do, how many people want to sign up versus how many people actually get yeah. through the system? I mean, over 100. Yeah. 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 We're getting people all day, every day. Um, and again, it's, it, it's what makes our upfront process better. You just are constantly learning from every little interaction. Um, and I'm just really proud of, uh, if you go through our process and if you are an investor with us, um, it means a lot to us and it should mean a lot to you. Um, and I would, and I would talk to anybody, um, that has a general partner that's just letting anybody that emails them get on a deal list. Um, I would really question that. Um, you know, really ask the GPs, like, how do you find your investors? Mm -hmm. um, I would say there's a ton of things we learned. We probably did. I know when I was over this, it was a lot more loosey-goosey. We obviously didn't have as many people probably approaching us at the time. But it's important to know who your investors are, mm -hmm. both as a GP and as an LP. You kind of want to know who else is in this capital stack. Have has, has the company done enough due diligence to go, if I'm one of 30 LPs, mm -hmm. that I'm comfortable that while I might not know the other 29 LPs, they've all gone through Fort's process yep. too. So uh, it's important. Before we go to the Twitterverse for a couple of questions, uh, you talked about cost seg. Just talk about 1031 mm -hmm. for a little bit. Yeah, so we get that question a lot too, is 1031. Do we engage in 1031s? Do we have 1031 opportunities? And the reality is, is with the way we syndicate our equity and with our LPs, we could have anywhere from 30 to 80 LPs in a deal. And, and not everybody's kind of end game is the same. You know, we understand what costs or 1031s are. We we understand the benefits of it. But in reality, not everybody is looking for that 1031 opportunity. So we, we've done this in the past where we've maybe do what's called the drop and swap, which is essentially it's uh, you take the entity and you basically the 1031 group, you drop them, you put them into another entity. And then that's the group that would 1031. And then the other group will take their their returns and just walk away and, and take their their gains. We have not engaged in that in a large scale yet. Um, we've, we've talked about it, so we're aware of it. We're trying to figure out an efficient and effective way and cost-efficient uh, way, basically, because it's also very expensive from a legal standpoint to do. And then understand the identification process. So it's something we're learning about more and more. And, and hopefully in the next you know few years, we'll have that opportunity pretty readily available to where if there is a group that wants to do 1031s, we can offer that to them. Yeah. I'm just riffing on the spot, but maybe that's something in our checklist up front. Do you want to participate mm -hmm. in 1031s? Yeah. So we kind of know from the beginning who, who would be interested or not. Boom. We just Boom. made it better. Mm -hmm. Here we go. We're, right. as, as we're going, Ad we're hoc. just iterating. Finally, they let me get an idea. <laughs> um, I'll pass it through the rest yeah. of the folks. We'll see if it makes it. <laughs> we'll report back how, how yeah. quickly that idea got uh, fenced off. One of the things we got asked from the Twitterverse is how do you handle hard or bad news? Um, you know, again, we've been in a great market. Uh, bad news can come in all shapes and forms. It's not going to plan. Uh, you know, we didn't sign this lease as quickly as we thought. Um you know, and there will come a day where, you know, you have to deliver bad news, every company that's been around. And so to me, I've always said um, people just don't like being surprised. Mm -hmm. They can actually handle bad news and good news. They don't handle surprises really well. So as far as how we would communicate that or how we think about it, 
Ryan, can you just riff a little bit on what's our policy for delivering bad news? Yeah. So we immediately will just tell the bad news. So, so, so let's say something's not going to plan. Like you said, the lease maybe it's not there or, you know, maybe it's, it's something's happening or, or maybe there's God forbid going to have to be a capital call. We'll, we'll disclose it pretty quickly. We will won't sugarcoat it. We'll, we'll say, this is what happened. This is a scenario and here's our solution for it. And wanted to get out front of it. So from our experience, it is best to just disclose it instead of surprises, like you said, or try to hide it and hope it corrects itself. Yep. So we do 14 to 16 deals a year. We get asked a lot, what is your structure? Mm -hmm. And the answer is it can change a little bit. The pref might change. The split might change. We might have a different share, what we call MEZ. Ryan, just lean into a little bit about why the structure changes and why it's not just one structure every single time. Yeah. So like we've mentioned, we're not a fund. We we view each deal as an independent, its own entity. Um, and, and essentially that's how we view it. And so each deal, we look at the risk, we look at the work that's going to be put in. And so we view PREF as kind of related to the risk. So the less risky the deal, maybe the lower the PREF, the more risky the deal, the higher the PREF would be. So we, we range our PREF anywhere from 6 to 8% typically for that annual preferred return that you're going to get. And then from there, we we look at the split on the waterfall based on how much work is going to be put into the deal. So if, if it's more upfront work that four capitals get to put in on the leasing side, the management side, then maybe it's a 60-40 split. Yeah. If it's a little less work, that the asset is is a cash flow machine, it, it's, you know, the tenants are easy tenants, it's not as much work upfront or, or over the life of the deal, then maybe it's a 70-30 uh, yeah. split. So it's really related to risk and, and how much work is going to be done into the deal. Cool. Twitter question, and this is a great question. Um, security, especially cybersecurity. Um, we're living in a world now where everything is online. Uh, the people on the, the bad team are getting smarter and smarter. And security is a top priority for us. Um, I know we carry insurance that helps us, but what are we doing process-wise to make sure that we are as secure of a company as possible. Yeah. So in a previous career, I was told the best protection against cybersecurity and also the biggest weakness is human error and human. So the biggest thing you can do to protect against cyber is training. And so we have implemented trainings and we, we talk about it pretty constantly now um, about what to do and what to look for. You know, there are some very, very good cyber attacks and and I've seen them in previous careers. I worked at a very large company and the example I always give is I worked for a very large company and I saw the email from someone else that showed me it and it was this person's email signature and essentially identical. So they were in and they'll, they'll watch it and it's amazing what they can do. So, so training is the biggest thing. Don't click links. Don't you know, navigate to things. Don't give your personal information up through links or anything like that. Navigate to the site separately is what we always kind of tell people. Don't click on PDFs and, and read emails. The biggest thing they can do is change like two letters in an email address so you read it quickly and it's it looks good, but it's really not. Right. Um, so that's one thing we do training-wise. Another thing we do is, is we know Juniper holds a lot of personal information in there for investors. And so we limit access to who in our company has that only, I think maybe three people in our entire company have access to junior per square and actually utilize it. And we've, we used to have multiple people in it and we kind of went through and said, look, only a handful of people know. And I understand Juniper's there. They know what's at risk for them. So they have all the protections in the world, but we've limited the access to Juniper just so that our investors know that not everybody can go in there and see all their personal information. So we, we take it very serious and, and we follow protocols and procedures and, train our people on how to spot what could potentially be a cyber attack. I love it. And you said earlier something about when people are wiring money, picking up the phone, and you talked about human error. So when we're sending wiring instructions for people to send to us, uh, you know, what what have we gone through to make sure that if, if money's leaving somebody's bank or leaving our bank, that mm -hmm. we're in harmony? Yeah, this is at the a for, a forefront of our focus, truthfully. Mm -hmm. And so what we've revamped over the last few months with Juniper Square is not only attaching those wire instructions, but of course, in that transaction timeline that I mentioned, letting investors know when it will be coming, who it will be coming from, only one email address ever. When we send those wire instructions, Juniper Square has helped us add an encryption feature where the investors actually have to log in 
Mm. and put in their password in order to even access the document. Oh, good. And not only that, but there's an encryption code Mm -hmm. that I build into the email. So there's two layers of security. And then um, not to mention the capital call notice and in the email, we do require investors to give us a call to verify. That is the most important piece. Mm -hmm. I love it. All right. Final question. This has been great. And I think we've kind of touched on it. The balance from existing investors money versus maintaining a healthy pipeline of new investors. So it's this constant ebb and flow. Do we have too many investors? Do we not have enough? How do we think about that? So I I think about it this way is we are we're growing pretty rapidly in our acquisitions and and we're seeing deals come through at a very rapid pace and you've heard the thing called deal fatigue where deals are in the market deal teams are getting fatigued they're getting you know just burn out on deals well investors get the same way if yeah. if we're sending 20 deals out investors seeing them over and over again they're finally get to the point where like i just i need a break yeah. so it's good to have you know multiple investors that if if that first group of people that's seeing the 20 deals are like well we're good we have the back but not backups but we have the next stable coming through and we're always looking for access to new capital partners looking for right investors and so we we like having multiple investors we like having kind of that that good pipeline of investors pipeline of capital that trusts us lets us deploy their capital and and let it work for them so in my mind it's it's a good balance to have yeah yeah okay all right. That's kind of how we think about investor relations. Uh, you've heard from Ryan Hessing. You've heard from Lorna Heath. Unfortunately, you've had to hear from me again, but that's okay. <laughs> if you're interested in learning more about what we're up to, you can go to www.fortcapitallp.com backslash connect. And there's lots of different ways you can connect with us. Um, it's a pleasure to serve our current LPs. We're always excited to meet more LPs. We're very excited about, you know, the markets that we're in, the asset class that we're in, and the hyper focus that we've put around industrial and more recently kind of flex and office is really starting to pay off. So thank you all for continuing to join us on uh, this Fort journey. And we'll talk to you next week. Hey everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.